Welcome to episode number 10 of the Disney Hipster Podcast, a show critiquing the aesthetic choices of the Disney company. My name is Adam, and I write for the Disney Hipster blog. With me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew. Hello there. Today we're going to be talking about the 1977 live-action and animated film, Pete's Dragon. But before we get into today's main topic, we're going to do another merchandise loop. This is the merchandise loop, and we hope you're not duped by the fascinating things that we shop for. Adam, did you get any excellent merchandise this last week? No. Oh. Um, but we've gotten them in past trips. Okay. But we didn't really buy them. Okay. Well, I guess you could say we bought them by the crazy price of our annual passes. What did we buy? Fast passes. Fast passes? Um, I think fast passes are a super collectible, and soon with the X Pass rolling out, at least in Disney World, mm -hmm. they will no longer be available. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Maybe. Yeah, we, maybe. I think they still will. Yeah, I don't know. But the, the artwork on top of them is really cool, and they're really neat, and you can use them as bookmarks, or you can collect them and stick them in a book if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. But I think they're a cool, overlooked sort of collectible. Especially that some of them only come up on some of the high points of the year, or... Yeah. Randomly, like if, if another attraction is down and they need to stick a fast pass somewhere. So you actually like to collect fast passes and not use them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like sometimes, you know, you end up with a bunch because you grab them as you can. Especially now that they're enforcing the rules. Yeah. A little bit better. Sometimes you end up with a bunch in your wallet when you go home, like, you know, 30 or 40, like we do. Like we always do every single trip. Um, especially if you do good rope dropping and you don't actually really need them. We never, I mean, we grab them, but we don't really actually need to. Sometimes we use them. Every once in a while, it seems like lately we haven't been really using them too much. Yeah, but anyway, but they're but they're pretty neat. They make they're... good collectibles. I like the artwork on a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. The um, the prize in our collection is the Primeval World yeah. Fast Pass that we randomly got yeah. this past January. But we were always, every time we walk up, we're like, oh, they're giving out fast passes so we can grab one. And then they wouldn't have one. So when yeah. they finally did, it was really exciting. And we got them and, and, and saved them. We have, we have them from Maelstrom. The the key with the Maelstrom one is that's the ultimate bookmark, is yeah. the Maelstrom fast pass. Because you never need to. And it's so beautiful. It's and it makes me happy. Hmm. So. And I, I would say that we need to explain what fast pass is. But if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what a fast pass is, then you're mm -hmm. probably stumbled on the wrong podcast. Exactly. But if you don't know what a fast pass is and you're going to Disney World, you will find out. Or, or you Google won't. it. Watch Stacey J. Aswad on Disney TV and she'll explain it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So um, for my merchandise loop, this past week on eBay, I bought a copy of the 1960 remake, <laughs> rewrite of uh, the James Otis children's novel, Toby Tyler. The reason I bought this version is because it features Kevin Corcoran prominently on the cover, just like the Disney remake or the Disney movie uh -huh. or whatever. But the uh, the thing about this book is that it is nothing like the James Otis book at all. Did you know that going into it? No. Well, the thing is, I didn't really. I read the James Otis one recently, uh -huh. you know, just because I really love Toby Tyler the movie. Uh, it's just fantastic, and that book is totally different uh -huh. than what the movie ends up being. But this book, uh, the writing is horrible. It's nothing <laughs> like the, the original book, which came out a hundred years before. That's nuts. 
The artwork is ironically awesome. It's I wouldn't even say ironically awesome. It's just creepy awesome. Yeah, but lots of bright. So weird. The cover has uh, Kevin Corcoran and Mr. Stubbs. Mr. Stubbs is eating a candied apple the size of his head mm-hmm. on the cover, and lots of bright colors, fun stuff like that. It's almost pop art. And. Yeah, I would say that. In I mean, a weird way, like, it's, it's going towards that, like... Terrific design. Then the inside features uh, a lot of covers, and a lot of times Kevin Corcoran does not look like himself. Yeah, he kind of looks like he's 48. Yeah, it's weird. But the illustrations on the inside, they look like they were at one point lithographs, are uh, beautiful, red and black, and Mr. Stubbs is holding a gun in a lot of them, which is great, just like in the movie. You know what he really looks like a lot, actually, mm-hmm. on the cover? What's I don't it? know the guy's name, but the guy... Um, who plays uh, Pee Wee's arch nemesis neighbor in Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Yeah, that big guy. That that big he guy. The, big guy. I know you are, but what am I, guy? Anyway, it was it's a steal like on eBay. I think I got it for a couple bucks, and it, you know, it's a beautiful looking book, even though the writing's really bad. But you know, it was worth buying, and I bought a couple other copies of Toby Tyler, the original, you know, because there's so many different editions, and it's it's a nice little book. But you should see that movie if you haven't seen it on a side note, because it's pretty amazing. And just like the Fast Pass thing, if you haven't seen Toby Tyler, then you should probably stop listening to our show. Or you should just watch Toby Tyler. Or just die. Okay. Okay. Love you. In 1977, the Disney company was dealing with a lot of problems. Walt had been gone for more than 10 years, and a lot of the projects that he'd greenlit were wrapping up. You know, they were they were pretty much done at this point, and you had a whole new leadership and sort of a bad period for the company. Yeah. And in 1977, we get the release of Pete's Dragon. Yeah, this, this is also a point where the, I think all the nine old men are, are kind of done with. They're, they're, some of them are still with the company, but mostly leaving or just sort of supervising a lot of things. Definitely um, not this. Not, yeah, definitely <laughs> not this film. You know, there's sort of the new guard is coming in. But it's, uh, it plays a weird part in the history of the company and the fact that they're really trying to sort of capitalize on the success of Mary Poppins, which again was well over 10 years before this. And they mm-hmm. tried in 1971 with bed knobs and broomsticks which was better by than all, by all accounts <laughs> by all accounts a, a abysmal failure yeah. you know a, aesthetically wonderful gorgeous film great Sherman Brothers song same same deal but the bed knobs and broomsticks didn't catch on like Mary Poppins did and they thought yeah, for whatever reason maybe we'll try again you know with this huge you know lavish musical yeah Ace Dragon and they basically made Mary Poppins, but they replaced Mary with the dragon. Yeah, that's pretty much it, exactly. But, uh... That's really it. Yeah, it was uh, directed by Don Chafee, who mm-hmm. had worked with Disney before on Three Lives of Thomasina mm-hmm. in 1964, and he he really didn't make a lot of movies, this man. He yeah. uh, did a lot of sort of fantasy work. Yeah, but he did Jason and the Argonauts, which is awesome. Yeah, he, he's that's what he's most famous for, and he's... Mostly did fantasy films, like I said, but Three Lives of Thomasina, which wasn't a huge hit either, but they sort of 
took solace in the fact that he'd made great films before. Yeah, but he also he had experience blending. I mean, it was stop animation, but animation and, right. and live action. Right. Which I think is probably why they thought it was a good idea. Yeah, and he, he ended up doing a wonderful job on Pete's Dragon, like we'll talk about shortly. Mm. The, this uh, movie also includes not Sherman Brothers songs, but a songwriting team, Al Kasha and Joel Hershorn. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they had worked together on a few Broadway plays before, yeah. and uh, very little movie work. Yeah, and, th- and this seems to be a running theme throughout the film. Is. Like, like it seemed like that their talent pool was gone or something, and they started to sort of pull from outside the company, but a lot of TV right, people. Exactly. And this film feels a little bit and TV think, in a way. I think that has to do with the new guard of animators and directors coming on, is that they pull a lot from sort of this new medium of television, yeah. you know, which was really coming into its own in the 70s. So you get a lot of TV workers, which is interesting, maybe not the best choice. Yeah. And you, it seems like a high-budget TV movie. If, that's exactly right. You might wonder why, you know, there's no Sherman Brothers on this song. They've been the in, in-house writers for, you know, 15 years, starting with The Parent Trap. And why aren't they working on this movie that they're trying to capitalize on, uh, capitalize on Mary Poppins? And they sort of n- didn't have a falling out with Disney, but there was a big chunk of the 70s where they weren't working with the company anymore. The last big movie that they had worked on was Bedknobs and Broomsticks, mm-hmm. which is, you know, interesting because that movie, I think that the songs in Bedknobs and Broomsticks are a little bit more refined than the ones in this movie. Now, again, we'll get to the songs presently, mm-hmm. but um, they were busy during this time writing songs for Charlotte's Web and Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and all those, you know, sort of underrated, non-Disney Sherman stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, overall, this, the movie screams the 70s. Absolutely. Which is, which is one thing about Disney films prior, is they... Always scream Disney. Yeah. Turn of the century Disney. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's starring Helen Reddy, who's a big pop star at the time. Huge pop star. She's known for that uh, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. That was her really big hit. And she's still around and kicking, gorgeous as ever. Uh-huh. Very pretty young lady. And she's not going to take the place of Julie Andrews, unfortunately. No, absolutely In the not. lexicon of... Uh, American movies, clearly. Mm-hmm. It also stars Mickey Rooney as the eccentric Lampy, mm-hmm. of course. He uh, had not worked with the Disney company at the time. He would go on to do voice work for Fox and the Hound a few years later in 1981. But surprisingly, I found out that he had not worked with the company before, really. Which is interesting because, you know, I'm sure him and Walt must have been acquaintances. Yeah, and he's such like the. He's so, just that American child actor that sort of transcends time. And yeah, goes I'm, just, on I'm really and surprised everything. he hadn't ended up with a different company prior. I was absolutely shocked when I noticed that. And even though he looks a little older in this movie, he's not actually an old man mm-hmm. like he's sort of portrayed in the movie at this point. He just looks a little bit weathered, you know, mm-hmm. as a crazy old, you know, lighthouse keeper. Now, the one thing that I think about this movie that's sort of interesting as far as casting is concerned and sort of the general plot of the film is that there's two sets of villains Hmm. really kind of working at the same time definitely more on the comical side you know nobody in this is well i guess they're evil but they're bumbling you know as opposed to villainous you know we have on one side doc terminus and hoagie and their main concern is getting elliot the dragon and hacking him up hacking him up uh doc terminus of course is played by jim dale and Hoagie, the real bumbling sidekick, is played by Academy Award winner Red Buttons, a yes. very amazing 
comic actor. Kind of vaudeville. Yeah, and he's, he does a lot of slapstick. Yes, and that's totally the comedy of the movie. But I think like if you, especially like if you listen to a lot of the songs and the dialogue and stuff, it's very very harsh. But they lighten it yes. with that the villains are all like totally bumbly inside and slapsticky. And yeah, they're not those sort of suave villains that you know we've come to yeah. know later in the Disney Company, but more bumbly, which I think. Fits, fits the film because they, they have a lot of dastardly plots, you know, but they sort of hook it up a yeah. little bit. The whole thing's a little, a little bit. Yeah. Then on the other side, you know, of the villain spectrum, we have the Gogans who are not going after Elliot, but they're going after Pete himself because they bought him with $50. 50 bucks. Plus legal fees. If you think about it, this is turn of the century. Yeah. He was pretty expensive. That was an expensive and little boy. And considering they have like no teeth and stuff. I know, the Gogans really should have spent more money on the dentist and we, less money on orphans. We really should talk about Shelley Winters. Yeah, Shelley Winters, who plays Mrs. Gogan. <laughs> who is probably the best standout star in this film. I don't know why she doesn't get more credit <laughs> for this. And she's like, have you like ever looked at like old photos of her? She's gorgeous. Or like her starlet. She's gorgeous. Days. Yeah. yeah, Shelley Winters is amazing and she absolutely kills this movie. I, I think... It definitely stands out as the star of the movie, even though she's, you know, in a very, relatively little. This should have been Academy Award, I'm just saying. I don't know about that, but she was very good. I <laughs> doubt, yeah. It's quite the transformation. And then, of course, in the title role of Pete, we have Sean Marshall, who did... Introducing Sean Marshall. It, not even introduce him. He did, was they do, a, did they no, do it like that? They like probably they didn't. Films. He was in a few things before and a few things after, but not very much. He was in your favorite Disney film ever. What, Small One? Uh-huh. He does a voice in Small One, which is the worst <laughs> Disney short ever. It's, um... Small One. I don't remember this. It's horrible. It's a Christmas... It's touted as sort of a Christmas classic, but it is just awful. And Sean Marshall does uh, voice in that. I want to say that that's a Don Bluth movie, even though I don't know that off the top of my head. I want to say it must be. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the guy's name? Yeah, Don yeah, Bluth, I, sure. That must be him, right? Yeah, and Don Bluth, speaking of him, is also the uh, animation director on this film. Okay, well, I didn't even think I knew that. Yeah, he did. When he, of course, is the director. Well, he's the guy who eventually split from the Disney Company mm-hmm. and sort of trounced him in the 80s for a bit uh, with American Tale and Secret of Nim. Yeah. And stuff like that. I, I want to say Small One must have been uh, him. Anyway, regardless. Um, this film, like I said, was coming along in a really rough patch in the company's history. The animated films of the 70s were not really touted as classics like the ones from the 50s and 60s were. The creative high of uh, like 101 Dalmatians and all that is long gone. Mm-hmm. You know, even though Jungle Book was big, you know, it was nothing really to speak of. And so they're coming off of this really high point and sort of in a valley of mismanagement in the 70s, especially the late 70s into the 80s where you hit a low point in like Fox and the Hound. Mm. And uh, this was supposed to sort of save the live action uh, division of the company and it sort of failed to catch on. It made its money back at the box yeah, office. It didn't do terrible. I mean, it, it was not back, Mary Poppins. But it was but... not, yes, not Mary Poppins by any means. Yeah, it doesn't have that sort of staying power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, uh, as far as its place in the Disney company, it, carries a lot of those Disney tropes, like you were saying, the turn of the century, mm-hmm. small town, featuring a very prominent Main Street. Yes, and it's, and it's very typical Disney good-evil dichotomy. Yes, and, uh, you know, or, orphaned boy, of course. Mm-hmm. Where the, the humans are like, well, they're humans. <laughs> the <laughs> actors. 
the good people, the good guys in the film, are uh, are very, very good and very optimistic and very positive. Yeah. And the bad guys are very evil. Right. It's sort of a hyper realism. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say it's very uh, uh, accentuated. Everyone's flaws and personality mm-hmm. traits are accentuated. And this could uh, easily be the set of any Disney movie. Yes. Made from the 50s on, yes. you know. Except that this is what I was kind of jumping to before, but it, it's it's so 70s that it, like, it departs from that a little bit. I think a big part of it is that it's very bright. Yeah. You know, doesn't it seem like everything about this movie is very bright and colorful, which is fine. Disney movies should be. But you add just that little bit of uh, TV quality, like you were saying, and it really 70s it mm-hmm. up. I mean, that's part of it, but too, it's... Um, it, this is the plight of the 70s in filmmaking and TV making. It's periodic haircuts. Oh, God. Like, with, if you look oh. at Disney films, turn of the century, like Peace Summer Magic, so whatever it is, yeah. right? They do their hair appropriate to the time period. Yeah. And this film is supposed to be turn of the century, yet everyone has, like, 70s shag hairdos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Pete's haircut is particularly bad. Nora... Helen Reddy's character, she runs the lighthouse. Her hair is horrible. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just bad. But it, but that, I mean, that's what dates it. Yeah, because it's like very, very obviously that time period. Because and Nora's that, wearing and those really they high-waisted pants that were big in the '70s. They're yeah. coming back right now, but they were really big in the '70s, and she's wearing high-waisted pants. Yeah, it's just bits of '70s design why did those in the slip, films. Why did they let that I don't slip know. in? Because I feel like that was the trademark of the yeah. of their films was that they stuck to. A formula. I mean, yeah. maybe they were. Maybe they thought that formula was failing, and that audiences were bored of it. So they, you know, let's right. make it a little bit more modern or as of the day. Yeah. Which really was TV, I guess. Yeah. Which is probably why they plucked so much from TV talent. Yeah. But getting back to sort of the hyper realism, like I was talking about, everything it seems in this film is extended further. The colors are brighter, like we were saying. Everyone's action is slapstick you know mm-hmm. everyone you know lampy plays a sort of a drunk and he's always drunk and he's okay. stumbling around everywhere getting into mischief the costumes i think are pretty great despite Nora's really high-waisted pants the um the sort of nautical theme you know they're they're in a fishing town in maine and everyone is always wearing those fisherman caps and those uh-huh. awesome sort of knit turtlenecks, yeah. you know? Those it's, are really big. It's definitely, definitely really charming in its own right, and despite then, its 70s. And then, like I was saying, everything's taken to the next level. So because Mickey Rooney's character runs a lighthouse, his name has to be Lampy. Mm-hmm. Because the Gogans are evil, they have to be filthy slobs, you know? And they're totally dirty and missing teeth, and they have dirt on their face, and they're rolling around in the mud because they're bad, you know? And Nora is sort of this uh, angelic, you know, epitome hero mother figure and she's you know beautiful yeah. and has a great angelic voice and sings the whole time you know and the you know the town is sort of almost like disneyland's main street usa and the fact that it is bustling and you see all these shops and you see the guy carrying around crates of eggs all the time and yeah there's a lot of stuff going on in the background like as they're moving through this scene. right and there's got to be somebody painting a fence in the background of every yeah. scene this sort of creates those situations for Pete and Elliot to get into mischief. Yeah. You know, it, it plays a it plays a part, but it also makes you feel sort of comforted that yeah. that Disney Main Street is still there. But they overdo it a little bit too. 
Well, they overdo it. Like I said, everything is exaggerated. This movie, that is the theme of this movie is exaggeration. Mm -hmm. You know, and you even have sort of a, the mayor who's sort of pompous, but kind of also like a dick, mm -hmm. walking around the town. That's played by Jim Bacchus. He's best known as the voice of Mr. Magoo from that old TV series. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of in, in like every bit part you've ever seen in the 60s and 70s. The name of the town itself? Passamaquoddy. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it comes from uh, the native people of the area, correct? Yeah. The Native American Indians who lived up in, uh, around Maine. Yeah, except it was supposed to be in Maine, but they shot it in California. Yeah, exactly. They built a lighthouse. Did you know about that? Did they build it? They built, they... they built a lighthouse on some coast in California, and, and that was the lamp, and it was so bright that Disney had to get permission anytime they used it because it would confuse ships. That's excellent. <laughs> I didn't know that they built it. I thought for some reason that they got permission to use one. That's a no. beautiful lighthouse. Yeah, no, they built it. Really beautiful. I love the giant horn outside that they sort of scared Doc Terminus and Hoagie with. Yeah. I love that. Right yeah. before they sing Brazzle Dazzle Day. Yeah. So, um, as far as the animation is concerned, we won't get too much into that because it's not one of those immersive sort of animated movies like Mary Poppins or uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, but you do have this one main character. You know, Elliot, the dragon, dragon who is uh, prominently uh, featured in the movie. He's the whole point of this movie. This awesome, beautiful dragon. Mm -hmm. And he's designed by Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson, yeah. Ken Anderson. Ken yeah. Anderson, it's interesting because he has, you know, experience with dragons. He did the Reluctant Dragon. I was going to say that. He was decades, the animated director. Decades before. That was 1941, yeah. I want to say. And what's just funny is that they are, are, are so similar. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like they're both, Come and they're both Ken. modeled off the sort of Eastern Oriental dragons. Yeah, more friendlier so. Friendlier dragons. Yeah. Than, yeah. Than Western. Than sort of like evil dragons. Dragon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Ken, Ken Anderson, you could have stepped it up, my friend. Yeah. He does. Really he's a little like the reluctant dragon. flat in a way. I think he's. The he's definitely fun. Is, the design is gorgeous. I think I. I love his little beeps and boops and little oh, noises yeah, yeah. that he makes. That's that's very great. Uh, he is bumbling like everyone in this movie. He's not an elegant dragon by any means. No, he seems a little bit... Um, I don't want to use the word retarded, but he seems a little retarded. Well, he's kind of dumb, you know, yeah. but he's heroic and brave. And yeah. he's a good friend for uh, Pete, which I think is, you know, the key. I think he maybe he adapts to the kid that he's hanging out with because yeah. Pete could use a nice little friend like this. Yeah, he's, he really is. He's a bumbling giant. Yeah, that's really like what him. it comes down to. I do, like you said, enjoy that he just makes noises that Pete understands, and yes. the dialogue is written, which is pretty clever. So that as Pete talks to him, you kind of know what he said yeah. based on Pete's response, but you yeah. never actually said. Yeah, anything. It's a, the the writing is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't. But like while we're kind of talking about that interaction, I actually don't. I really hate Pete. I don't like. I don't like the character of Pete, the boy. He's kind of he's, the, the, the boy isn't a great actor, you know, no. by any means. He's a cute little kid. He has red hair. You know, he's kind of funny looking in the mm -hmm. face. But Disney has a history of hiring boy actors that are pretty yes. terrible. I think that if Eddie, Hodges, if Eddie Hodges had been younger, he could have played Pete. And he could have. It would have been awesome. It would have been better. But by this point, he was a grown-ass man. That's true. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah by I mean, this point. Anyway, I don't, I don't care for Sean Marshall's performance. I think it's very... Uh, Awkward and weird. I thought they would have been better off having Mickey Rooney play Pete. That's and he could true. just dress him up like a little boy. He should have played both parts. That would have been awesome. Yeah, alas. I'm sure they could have found somebody better had they had they looked. Yeah. So that, let's let's talk. Let's talk for a second about the music. Yeah. From this movie. It's again, like we said, not 
Sherman Brothers music, but which is different. Really, st- I mean, still a really strong soundtrack. Um, amazing soundtrack. All right, so basically starts with Happy's Home in the Hills, which is the sort of villain song. It's interesting that they start off with one of the two villain songs, first song in the movie. Uh-huh. So it's basically the Gungans chasing Gungans. Pete around. The Gogans. Gogans. Sorry. Yes. Chasing Pete around, um, and Elliot's with him. Yeah. And sort of trips them up as they try to go along. And they sort of go between them. On the first, third, and fifth verses of the song, they sort of talk about all the nice things that they're going to do for Pete if he comes home. But, but then they get frustrated in between, and then on the second, fourth, and sixth verses, they talk about all the awful things yeah. they're going to do to him. What kind of things are they going to do to little Pete? Yeah, because they're... This, and this is my point about the, the movie being really harsh and why they need to be so bubbled to, to, to bring yes. it down a little bit. They are going to drown him, mm-hmm. um, tie him to a railroad track, okay. saw him in half, nice. uh, eat him for dessert. Mm. I really like that one. Yummy. Uh, laugh at him okay. when he cries out for mercy. That was me. Um, roast him gently. Thank mm-hmm. God it's Stanley. So the flames won't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, sting him. Okay, sting him. You know, sure. and then fill him full of blood. Oh, all those In things. case that wasn't. But now, why would they want to do that to an orphan that they've paid fifty dollars? I was going to say that. Things. What good is he if they, if just they kill, kill him? him? Yeah, that doesn't seem very nice. But anyway, but that it's a really harsh song. I'm actually surprised to see it come out of the Disney company. Yeah, In no, way, but, it, but like you said, because they're bumbling, it kind yeah, of works really it, well. It, it tones it down, but yeah. I'm still surprised. This is, I think, it's funny that they open on the scene because it's one of the highlights. Definitely, I'm mm-hmm. happy to uh, watch this scene at the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. They're sort of like comedic actors, and the Gogans are all in the mud and it's, hitting it's each other in the head. And Shelley Winters yeah. is screaming at them the whole time. Uh-huh. She's so amazing. And they look ridiculous. Like they don't look, to your point, exaggerated again. Like it's they're it's beyond. Well, they get dirty at the beginning of the movie, and they stay dirty for the rest of the two hours. But even like the makeup, like their moles and stuff, looks like somebody glued it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's awesome. Like they don't even try, but awesome. which is also And again, awesome. the boys have those bad 70s haircuts. Mm. One of the guys is from uh, Greece, yeah. right? Jeff Conner. Yeah. He was yeah. dead. Yeah, that guy died. Some drug problems. But anyway. Regardless. Um, and then it moves on to um, bop, 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 mm. bop. I love you too. Probably one of, the, one of the cutest films in the movies. And this is really where them being really optimistic and positive the whole time. The, the, which is uh, very the positive characters Disney. stay positive the whole time. This song and a few of the other ones really do have that Sherman Brothers quality to it. Sort of that ridiculous canter where there's nonsense mixed with real sort of loving words yeah. that the Sherman Brothers kind of did well. This writing duo, they must have been familiar with the Sherman Brothers canon, I'm, I'm pretty Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they were told to go back to it, because they were trying absolutely. to really make, you know, these other films. But, like, the whole, again, this goes back to the Elliot with the, um, the boop, 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 right. boop, 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 like, and Pete knowing what he's saying, yeah. and singing, like, they can you sing understand what he sings, and which is really, really cute. Anyway, so um, there, there's not much to say about that. Um, and then, another high point, I saw a dragon, with a lamb. A dragon, a dragon, I swear I saw a dragon. Um, with Lambie and Nora having the most amazing dance-off they have a dance in off. a Disney film ever. They have a dance-off <laughs> in a bar. In a bar. Nora, Drinking. They're getting drunk. They're all, oh, oh, I shouldn't say that. They're all messed up. They're all really messed up on beer. And Nora is dancing on beer barrels. And they're exploding all over the drunken sailors. It's true. They're just exploding. Everywhere, but they're running on them. And it's it's amazing. just It's amazing. Really, if, if Helen Reddy has like a redeeming factor in this film, it's this dance-off. Yeah. 
It's amazing. It's a great scene. Whoever, I mean, the director really did a crazy good job. But this also goes with the problems that these type of films have, which is it is so drawn out. This is the Portobello it's really Road. Long. Yeah. This is the Portobello Road of this film. It's true. It is a, what, eight some, minute long Some of these songs are so long. Really long. But it's it's good. And uh, Mickey Rooney comes into his own at this point in the movie, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And he uh, sort of lightens it up a little bit. His character is wonderful. Lampy's great. Mm -hmm. What what other songs are there? Um, and it's like, It's Not Easy, which is... It's not easy. That's a really good song. Uh, really, really, really cute, positive song. All of these songs really are just beautiful. Um, probably one of the most clever songs in here, uh, Passamaquoddy. Yeah. By uh, Doc Terminus. Yeah, Doc Terminus and Hoagie. This, is, this is one of their songs. This, I wouldn't say, this isn't a villain song by any means. They have another really good one. Yeah. But this whole scene is just awesome. This is when, <laughs> when Doc Terminus and Hoagie roll in with their sort of a... Uh, sail their, cart? They have a sail wagon. It has a sail on it, like oh. a sailboat. When and then it's they, a wagon. Then they can't stop it. And, and it just destroys They're the peddling their wares to the town of Passamaquoddy, which they had done previously and the town remembers them and are very reluctant to buy their snake oil, you mm -hmm. know? But through this song, they convince the town folk to uh, believe in them again, mm -hmm. which is just great. And, and I, probably Doc Terminus in this point is really a, another high point acting-wise. Yeah, see, I... He, he come, tries to come off as sort of suave, but then Hoagie is there messing up his plans kind of the whole yeah. time and making everything seem kind of uh, ridiculous. You but, know? But a really great time. I like these characters a lot. They are the most 70s of all the characters. Yeah, it's very true. Absolutely. Jim Dale just screams the 70s in this, which is like so great and so horrible at the same time, you know? I mean, it's definitely something good about it, but it's also something bad about it. Yeah. Um, Campbell in the Water, uh, Academy nominated. Yeah. Academy Campbell Award nominated. This is the slow... Uh, the slow ballad that Nora sings to her long-lost love out at sea. She sings it from the lighthouse. It's not gonna bug me, I'm gonna be honest with you. A lot of people say that. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's well written, but it's, it's a beautiful, it has a mm -hmm. great crescendo. I hate when songs get nominated for awards just because they're sappy, because there's way but better songs think, in this film. I don't, well, yeah, that's true. There are better songs, but this song is, is really good, mm -hmm. and I do love that crescendo. And this is this one really exemplifies her really beautiful voice. Helen Reddy has a great voice. Now, if we were going to nominate a song for Academy Award, in my opinion, it mm -hmm. should have been There's Room for Everyone. That song is so sweet and so wonderful. And it's really, it's just like all about acceptance. Acceptance? Accept, acceptance. Yeah. And all about... There's room for everyone in this world. It's just a great yeah. message overall. It's all about dragons' rights. Yeah, it's all about dragons' rights. You yeah. should support dragons' rights to yes. live how they want to live. It's support the dragons' right to marry mm -hmm. another dragon. That's true. Um, and then there we go, Peace, which is another Dr. German song, which is really cute. This is their big villain song. Mm -hmm. They're uh, sort of cutting up all the different parts of Elliot, mm -hmm. you know, to use and peddle their wares in other towns. They're gonna chop him up and use his tears and his fat and his scales and his wings and, and his bones. And all his bones. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, and it's then horrible. the next song, um, which is Andrew and his sister Jenna's favorite song in the world to sing together. Uh, Brazzle Dazzle Day. It's a Brazzle Dazzle Day. I, that's a good one. I, you guys just favorite. like I know, but you guys for some reason the first time I hung out with you together, that's all you did was no, sing Brazzle Dazzle Day. Which one did? No, there's yes. another one. Anyway, that is a it's a great song. They are painting the lighthouse, getting it all spick and span. This is just after Nora and Lampy sort of tell. Pete that they want to adopt him yeah. and now he's super psyched and he's gonna 
be their slave instead of the Gogan. It's true, but in a good way. Well, he is. They're making him do chores. Which, and that's but I mean, come on. They're making him go to school and paint their lighthouse, which sucks. Um, and then uh, the Gung- Gogan's final song, Bill of Sale. Yeah, that's sort of like a sequel to the original song. Again, they're harping on the fact that they own this little boy, and now Nora's gonna, you know, defend his honor. Exactly. And then Elliot, Elliot swoops in and knocks their asses well. into the water, which is great. And again, Shelley Winters is that high point of this part as well. But then at this point, everybody sees Elliot and realizes that Pete isn't crazy. Well, they start to see him at this point. Well, they this start to see him, and then the, and then the uh, town folks sing a reprise of I Saw a Dragon. Yeah. And then they all, and then basically the Gogans are gone, Doc Terminus is gone, and everybody's happy, and, and Pete's adopted, and then they sing Browse of Dazzle Day one final time. Yeah. And it's, then uh, Pete We're not going to go into detail, specific detail of the sort of flow and you know, plot points of this movie, you know, you get it. He's an orphan. He has people trying to catch him. He's in a small town and he has a pet dragon. But um, <laughs> it's told really well through these songs. I think that if the song lengths had been cut, some of them are extremely long, like that uh, Every Little Piece song. Mm-hmm. Again, that's another tremendously long song. Yeah. Really that... well written, but they don't have to repeat every lyric five or six times, which they do. Yeah, they, it's every, a lot of the songs could be and shorter, then they take as a clever break, as they are. Then they have a break to sort of have a conversation, and then they sing it again. It's, they're, they're very long. It's a very long movie. At the end of the day, the songs are very strong, considering that the guys who wrote them necessarily didn't have that big of a catalog. They didn't of. have tons of experience, you know? They, they had done some good stuff on uh, the stage version of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is tremendous, wonderful music for that, but beyond that, they hadn't gotten a lot of accolades, mm. and they came into their own here, you know, and I don't think they did a lot after this either, mm. to be honest. The um, rectifications of this movie were not very big. The box office was okay, and they made their money back for sure, but it didn't have a lot of the staying power like uh, Mary Poppins did, and you see a lot of Mary Poppins in the theme parks, you know, and one of the things that this movie doesn't have is a strong theme park presence, regardless of the fact that Elliot is such a wonderful character. Yeah. You know, classic, definitely has that Disney feel. He's a beautiful animated dragon. But he doesn't have a lot of presence in the film, def- or in the parks, unfortunately. One of the big things is he has his own float in the Main Street Electrical Parade, which, which was added for the 1977 version to promote this film. Yeah. It wasn't in the original version. But that's probably his most... The thing that's most popular about him, I would say a lot of people, especially going to Disney World, yeah. you know, on their once-in-a-lifetime kind of trip, have no idea that Pete's Dragon they the film even Puff exists. The Magic, they think it's Puff the Magic yeah. Dragon. But he's very popular. Like, people wait for him in the parade, uh, he's, which is why he's he still He is the, the highlight of that parade. He's massive. He's huge. You have uh, Pete riding around his neck and sort of calling out to the crowd, which is wonderful. You could have met his Peter Pan like an hour before. Yeah, yeah, the same guy that plays Pete is probably playing Peter Pan for meet and greets. Or Terrence, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the bro down music that is themed, uh, or sort of weaved throughout the entire parade, at this point includes It's Not Easy and Brazzle Dazzle Day, sort of woven throughout, which is great, mm-hmm. wonderful. And then, of course, like I said, Pete is calling down to the crowd. In the uh, original version, Sean Marshall, the actor, apparently was in the parade really? for a while. This I have no evidence of this, but it's a little, oh, yeah. a little fact that. that I dug up, apparently. If anyone has proof of the actor who played Pete in the movie playing this character in the parade, please let us know of that. That'd be pretty awesome. That would be really neat to see, I think. 
the um, other big presence, if you could say big, is uh, the electric water pageant at Walt Disney World. The coolest. It's my favorite nighttime show, I've said before. And though this debuted in 1971, and it's always had this sort of uh, sea serpent, massive sea serpent in the pageant, mm -hmm. the, um, the song, uh, I Love You Too, from the opening of the movie, wasn't added until 1996. And though the sea serpent doesn't really look like Elliot at all, and is in fact like a sea serpent, you now sort of associate him as Elliot, because yeah. it has the song from Pete's Drive. Can you see Elliot? See, he changes. Now he's, he's part, he's, um, now he's a sea serpent. He's helping, a, he's oh, helping wait, a cabin right. boy or something. Right, we'll go with that. Just go with that. We're just gonna go with that. Hmm. And then uh, one of my favorite inclusions in the uh, theme park world is at Fort Wilderness, you have Doc Terminus's wagon uh -huh. actually set up, and I believe it's a stage for Chip and Dale's sort of sing-along. Uh -huh. I've, I've never experienced this myself, but the cart is really neat, and it's just sort of random, extensive theming that they didn't have to add, but they did. Which is great, you know? Nice little tie-in. Yeah. I think there's room for improvement as far as in-park uh, stuff is concerned. I think there should be a meet-and-greet. That would be great. With Doc Terminus and Hobie. Or a meet and greet with a gigantic, a gigantic Ellie. dragon. Yeah, that seems less likely to happen. I mean, they could, with the, the, the new technology and the living character initiatives and all that, they could totally do that. It would be neat. It would be neat. Anyway, that's a very quick, not very extensive rundown of one of my very favorite films. I think that that's one of the things I don't think I emphasize is how much I personally love this movie. Yeah, I you agree. Know? I mean, I do really, really love it. Um, I kind of like, I know people just really obsess over Mary Poppins and not that I don't love Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins is cock a doo, -doo. But like, you know, I think Bed Noms and Broomsticks is probably the best out of the Disney half animated, half live action musical. I think so. Um, behind Summer Magic for probably the best musical. Um, but Pete is, I might be right in front of Mary Poppins for me. I, and I watch it more than Mary Poppins, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. I like it quite a bit. So anyway, yeah, I know we poo-pooed on the 70s look of it a little bit, but again, it comes out overall very charming. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a charming bit of it. And this is the, the one film that every time like you see Disney stuff on Broadway. Yeah, why is why this on Broadway? Yeah, this would be perfect. Yeah. Perfect, perfect, perfect. The songs are so catchy. They just need to cut it. Man, this movie is long. Yeah. Very good. I never, ever finish it. I start it all the time. I don't think I've finished watching it in years. Yeah. But I do love it. But it's it. fun to have on the background, especially. Yeah, the songs, are, the songs are tremendous. Good. And you should buy the soundtrack, because you could buy it, I think, on iTunes, right? Uh, or, no, you know what? You bought it. We have a hard copy. It, well, we have a hard copy of it. You bought it in... Uh, I bought it from the UK. Yeah, right? from the UK. We managed to get a hard copy of it. I'm sure you can get it on iTunes. Check that out, friend. Jeff on Twitter wants to know, another park in WDW is inevitable, so what theme do you want to see and what will your predictions be for the park? Okay, new theme park at Disney World. First of all, I don't think it, fifth gate, I don't think it's necessarily inevitable. Neither do I. Um, for a very long time, if, it, if it's ever going to happen, I kind of think it's quite a while off. But 
uh, I think a giant missed opportunity is the Pixar Studios. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, the one that really would work the best. Honestly, I'm surprised that they didn't retheme the Hollywood Studios to Pixar. The thing is they could use existing attractions and combine them into one park. We yeah. have Tough to be a Bug, Astro Boxers, um, Mike and Sully to the Rescue, the um, Midway Mania, we could do the new, uh, you know, the Monsters Coaster, you know, mm. and it would be so easy to theme, and I think the uh, Luxo Lamp could be the weenie in the middle of the park. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like at this point that would be too hard because they already put them in other parks. Well, I'm saying close them in the other parks and have its own gate. Yeah, we could do that. You could do a Gesto's restaurant. Mm. That would be amazing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's my favorite idea. I don't think the Villains Park is ever going to happen. So that would be my second one if they did them would be Villains after Pixar. Yeah. Um, I think I would go for a sort of Jules Verne theme park. Okay. So I guess similar to what Disney Sea has going on now, but just more Jules Verne. Because they've, they've just based so much stuff on Jules Verne's work, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, In Search of the Castaways. All that kind of good stuff, and that sort of steampunky aesthetic was really great. And they had already done all the designs for um, the Discovery Bay and all that good stuff. So they could yeah. really like. I would like to d see Discovery Bay as a yeah. park. That would be great. So they could pull all of it from that. Like they could do the yeah in the round. I don't know what that's the, called. Yeah, the theater, the Professor Marvels thing. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I think I would go for sort of Jules Verne, Thirty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea in there. Throw the volcano in, driven the yeah. You have all those attractions, and then you could just build new ones based on some of his other works and stories, and just sort of, even if you make up original stuff that's sort of in that vein, you just keep it in that idea of discovery and keep it in that sort of steampunk thing. Yes, and we could have the search of the castaway thread, which yes. would be excellent. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, thanks for sending the question in, Jeff. So that's going to do it for this ridiculous episode of the Disney Hipster Podcast. If you want to read our daily blog posts, go to DisneyHipsters.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DisneyHipsters. You could like our Facebook page because that's so easy to do. You just hit one little button. And I would also like to uh, make the formal announcement of our first official Disney World meetup, which is going to be October 27th at 7 o'clock at Victoria Falls at the Animal Kingdom Lodge. We're going to have a couple giveaways, and if we're not too lazy, we'll probably come up with some kind of trivia game or scavenger hunt or something silly and fun like that, and everyone can have a couple drinks at Victoria Falls, and it'll be awesome. And hang out. It won't be that awkward unless, you know, we make it. Yeah, well, you know, it'll be fun awkward. It'll be, yeah, it'll be pretty awkward. All right. Cool. Goodbye. See ya. Goodbye.